Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Anthropologically Speaking. I'm Katie. And as always, I'm Isabel. And today we are taking another bit of a dive into sociocultural anthropology. Uh, In particular, we're going to be looking at the anthropology of religion today with a really interesting topic. Uh, Our topic is cults. Yay! (laughs) Um, So first thing about cults uh, is in scholarship, we don't really call them cults. It's a bit of a pejorative term. Um, We call them new religious movements, which I think Isabel's going to touch on. Um, But yeah, Isabel, do you want to take us away with what is a quote-unquote cult? Always. Yes. So what is a cult? So there's actually a few different um, definitions for cult depending on the school of thought. So in sociology, it can be defined, say, as a church or a denomination or a sect. And these are all terms for different just religious organizations. So it's a little bit less loaded in that term. Um, in history, it can be deemed as just a specific worship dedicated to a god or saint. Yeah, like the cult of so-and-so. Yeah. Um, in popular culture, however, it is often considered more dangerous and has a little bit more of a... Stigmatized context. It's, it's much more... Yeah, it's much more loaded. Um so it often refers to marginalized religious groups. Um, so I feel like your stereotypical, what people would think of when they think of a cult is the popular culture idea of what it would be defined as. Um, but like Katie said, we don't typically try and call them cults in the anthropological world. They are in the re- probably religious study world as well. Um, instead, we will call them new religious movements. Um, it's just, again, has that, there's less of a stigma attached mm-hmm. to it. it. makes it seem much less villainized than a cult would. Mm-hmm. Um, but all this terminology um, determines a line between us and them. So it's the people in the cult that maybe people who aren't in the cult are looking, I shouldn't call it a cult, and the religious movement mm-hmm. are looking down on um, because maybe they don't agree with what they're doing or maybe they can see something that the members of the new religious movements. Yeah. And there's like a tendency to perceive people who are part of new religious movements as often like lesser than or um, unintelligent or they can't think for themselves. Um, So that's something we have to watch out for as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, So yeah, we have to be careful uh, to determine which of the said Um, senses we're using it in so in different contexts the word means completely different things so it's not uniform and yeah it's really important to distinguish that because we don't want to be marginalizing anybody for their religious beliefs or what they are participating in regardless Um, obviously there are exemptions to this when it becomes dangerous and violent such as Jonestown which we will come back to later yes but Overall, I think it's just really important for people to acknowledge and have an open mind about what a new religious movement can mean for the people participating. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you just Google it, I wanted to see what comes up for the definition of cult. So Google deems it as a system of religious veneration. Mm-hmm. Veneration. Toward a particular figure or object or 
yeah. <laughs> or a relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. So that kind of rolls back to that popular culture definition. Mm-hmm. So, so to kind of sum it up, uh, three key meanings of a cult. Um, one of them can be a secretive, dangerous religious organization that brainwashes its followers into abandoning family and friends. So the idea of loss of autonomy and agency um, is really key there. Uh, the breakaway from a large religious organization, so kind of a fringe movement of a known organization, um, which is something we're going to talk about next, uh, or the practice of worship of a specific deity. Um, so as part of religion, um, when you worship a deity in particular, um, for a particular reason, maybe you uh, create a shrine, um, that can be the cult of so-and-so. Yeah, so, um, I mean, any sort of breakaway from the stare, I don't want to call them status people, quo. Status <laughs> quo, yeah, religions is often to be considered a new religious, new, sorry, <laughs> new religious movement. So even these, um, a religion such as Christianity may have been viewed and was likely viewed as a cult when it first began especially for the romans they kind of thought of it as a cult vibe i'm going to use cult there because i'm sure that they weren't using it in a pleasant term um so they saw christianity as a threat to social stability and described it as superstition so in the sociological sense christianity did start as a jewish um, sectarian movement yeah like a sect of judaism Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was gradually transformed from a Jewish sect to a religious group that was, oh my gosh. Gentile. Gentile, I think, it's, yeah. So not Jewish. <laughs> so this is a problem because Christians began to make claims about Jesus that didn't align with Jewish religion. And I don't know a lot about Judaism, but so I can't really <laughs> expand on that without. Yeah, I mean, um, I think most people probably recognize a lot of the key differences between Christianity and Judaism. Um, One of which is that in Christianity, uh, Jesus is viewed as part of the Godhead. Um, That's a key difference there. Uh, There are many, many other nuanced differences that make them separate, but yeah, that's, that's one of them. Yeah. So in this movement, as Jesus began to have divine characteristics, it was hard to see Christians as only celebrating one God. And so Jews were concerned about this new movement. Um, So Romans were not only concerned with Christianity, but rather with any organized group such as this because it threatened authority, naturally. And that's really key in the past too, um, and even many places in the present where we see religion as not only a personal set of beliefs, it's often also a governing body. Right, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was, some um, crucifixion was saved for treason and people who were undermining the state. And so I guess this practice proves that Romans were not so concerned about what the content of Jesus's teachings were, just the fact that him and his followers were threatening their way of life. So it's all about that power balance, I guess, mm-hmm. in history and 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, to think that um, a religion which so many people around the world follow today uh, was initially thought of in the way that uh, many people consider other new religious movements uh, today. Like it was viewed as something suspicious, as something dangerous, and now it seems something very commonplace. Um, So it's interesting to know that kind of uh, evolution of thought in that sense. Yeah, because people always will fear the unknown and the new and anything that challenges their current way of thinking. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of what happened at the beginning of Christianity. And so it's just kind of an interesting way to think of cults and new religious movements is that they may be stigmatized and seen as all evil and brainwashing, but in fact, some of these things become very mainstream and mm-hmm. normalized in life. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to talking about some of um, the modern new religious movements that we've encountered in the past hundred years. So one of the famous ones that a lot of people have heard of um, and even if you haven't heard of it specifically, you've probably heard of it even in passing. Um, through, for example, the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid, which I'll discuss later. But uh, Jonestown and the People's Temple is a whole story um, that starts with a guy named Jim Jones. So um, Jim Jones opened his first church in the mid-1950s in Indianapolis. Uh, He was not affiliated with other denominations, um, but he allowed racial integration in his church, which was seen as very progressive and different at the time. Um, So people really flocked to that. They liked uh, his message, they thought he was charismatic, um, and they thought it was a really welcoming place for them. So the church acted as a humanitarian entity in the communities it existed in. Um, However, the members weren't treated well. Uh, They were beaten, blackmailed, and humiliated. Um, this obviously came a bit later than the initial, uh, welcoming church, but, uh, it eventually evolved into that. Um, and it happened a lot behind the scenes too, even when the church was seen as a really welcoming place. That typically seems to be a trend in cults too. People be, get pulled in with this like overwhelming sense of love and acceptance, Mm -hmm. and then it slowly transitions into something more violent and harmful. Yep. That's obviously hidden from new members. So that's how people kind of get caught up in it. And then once they're in that far, either they believe that they can't get out or they're threatened to, like, they, they are not allowed. Yeah. So that's really yeah. important. Yeah. So um, people that were part of this uh, people's temple were told that if they left, they would end up in government-run concentration camps. So there was also a sense of fear instilled there. So in 1977... Uh, When the press began to ask questions, Jim Jones moved the commune down to Guyana, where Jonestown began. So we see the change from this people's temple, which is a church or religious organization, into an actual commune where the people were living together in a completely different country than it started in. And I know a lot of members, they were, I don't want to say brainwashed, but maybe compelled to hand over their possessions Mm -hmm. to the to Jim Jones and the People's Temple. So even their houses or just their personal property that all became part of the church or the mm-hmm. um, commune. So they really had no other... They yeah. Were yeah, and a lot of people had an overwhelming sense of trust that came with a sort of compulsion. Um, 
But shortly after Jonestown uh, was founded in Guyana, a congressman uh, went to visit the town after hearing rumors that people were being held against their will. When people tried to leave with them, uh, they were attacked with an airstrip. Uh, at, an um, airstrip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at an airstrip, they were attacked with. They were attacked at an airstrip. Um, five people were killed, including the congressman and some press, and eleven people were wounded. So at this point, we see a shift to outward violence. So it's not just behind the scenes anymore; um, it's outward. So after this attack, uh, Jim Jones ordered members who lived outside of Jonestown to uh, kill themselves and. That began the suicide that became, um, I guess, known throughout the ages. Uh, people often talk about it today, even. Um, members had to drink a sweet juice laced with cyanide and sedatives. Um, they had practiced this before, um, kind of a tornado drill type thing, except for if people infiltrate. Um, parents injected the juice into children's and babies' mouths and then took it themselves. Uh, Jim Jones himself died of a gunshot wound. And this is where uh, Don't Drink the Kool-Aid comes from. This uh, cyanide-laced juice that people drank to die. Um, and although it's considered a suicide, uh, many people would consider it a compelled death and therefore a murder. Um, so it's a murder-suicide. And the death toll exceeded 900 people, 300 of whom were under 17. Um, so, I mean, here we're seeing people, children, who don't even have the autonomy to choose this movement for themselves being killed, um, which is definitely, definitely, um, I think, part of the, the murder, the murder scheme of it. Um, so the thing about this, I guess the lessons taken from it, is that Jim Jones was extremely charismatic and charming. People trusted him, they believed in him wholeheartedly. And his acceptance, or seeming acceptance, of people of different races uh, allowed a lot of people to be caught up in it. They thought it was a good progressive thing, um, that he was, you know, he, he was for integration, and that, that's a progressive good thing. Um, but a lot of the things behind the scenes were not good or progressive. Um, there's an audio recording, actually, of the massacre that's quite disturbing as well as video footage of the aftermath where you can actually see the extent of the victims of the Jonestown massacre. So Jonestown is something um, that's still kind of in the collective conscience today. Um, when we say things like don't drink the Kool-Aid, um, it's, it's definitely something that people, I think, think back to when we talk about cults today, because, you know, this was relatively recent in the scheme of history, um, and it did end in a lot of bloodshed um, through compelled suicides. So that's a, it's a sad story there, but it's a very interesting case of how something that was seen as so, so good and so welcoming turned into something that was so um, awful and compelled. So, yeah, yeah, such a profound example with such severe consequences and so... Mm -hmm. It's really sad. Um, so another example of a cult today, well, a new religious movement. It's going to take me a while to get used to, to be honest. Um, and this one is a little bit more delicate because there are active members today. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm in no way out to judge people on their religious choices or what do they do except that it can be a little bit problematic and harmful um so i'll just kind of delve into what scientology is so it was founded in the 1950s by l ron hubbard who was actually a sci-fi writer um so it's currently led by david miscavige and um is hubbard is dead right yeah hubbard died in i think the 80s okay yeah so i mean that kind of starts us off just acknowledging that he was a sci-fi writer Mm -hmm. (laughs) to start with um so i looked at their website because i was really interested to see because they're active today like it's really an interesting um case study because again it's not something of the past it's not something that we're taking lessons from necessarily it's people are still involved in this and caught up in this movement Mm -hmm. so there are many wealthy celebrities and people involved people like john travolta and tom cruise are kind of the most popular and well-known examples um some celebrities are former scientologists and have come to be very critical of the religion such as leah leah remini 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 (laughs) um so yeah according to their website scientology and I quote, offers a precise path leading to a complete and certain understanding of one's true spiritual nature and one's relationship to self, family, groups, mankind. Can I put the emphasis on mankind? <laughs> like, that's already a problem for me. <laughs> um, all life forms. Okay. Okay. Maybe they <laughs> backtrack a bit, but I mean, are we saying, yeah, I'm not going to go into it. Um <laughs> The material universe, the spiritual universe, and the supreme being. So there are three prime truths involved in the Church of Scientology. So one, man is an immortal spiritual being. Two, his experience extends well beyond a single lifetime. Three, this is driving me crazy, his capabilities are unlimited even if not presently realized. So, Sounds pretty good on the surface, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <Pretty> good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Ron L. Or, sorry, L. Ron Hubbard was, like I said, a sci-fi writer and a U.S. veteran. So, in 1947, he wrote to the Veterans Administration seeking psychiatric help. Yeah, and I mean, that paired with the active imagination of a sci-fi writer um, maybe makes you think that he wasn't entirely in a place where he should be starting a religion. Maybe, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So essentially what I understand of Scientology um, is that humans are like our physical bodies are actually controlled by spiritual beings called Fens. Satan. Satan? Oh, God, yeah. okay. <laughs> Shout out to so, us, like, learning tra- all our stuff from literature. We don't know how to pronounce things, but we know how to read them very well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so, I think, essentially, you're trying to unlock the Satan from yourself, and that being is unlimited. Yeah, the Thetan's like your soul or spirit. It's yeah. the it's the 
religious part of you, the non-physical spiritual yes. being. And that is immortal. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds very sci-fi to me. It does. <laughs> so Dianetics is a psychotherapy developed by Hubbard and pushed by Scientology. So again, they believe that humans are immortal and capable of anything and you just have to unlock the abilities. So in order to advance in these abilities and in the church, you have to pay for courses (laughs) and (laughs) therapy called auditing, which costs about $800 per hour. And I think this is probably why we see so many wealthy people involved in Scientology, because it is exclusive in this way um, that a lot of other new religious movements aren't. Uh, Because it has this monetary boundary. Yes. So auditing um, gets rid of engrams, which are traumatic events, experiences, (laughs) traumatic events and experiences. That is experienced during (laughs) unconsciousness. We're reading each other's notes today for things. (laughs) And so, like, I'm tripped up on her notes. She's tripping up on my notes. (laughs) Oh, but that was a typo on my my part, so. <laughs> I should be reading it before, you know. <laughs> Not good preparation for a podcast. Um, so, essentially, you're trying to, again, through these levels, you're trying to access your Thetan, which is the spirit residing in your body, through OT levels. So, I said, basically, you pay a lot of money to move up through these auditing sessions, where you do a lot of confessing and talking so you can unlock your fate. And so, a big scam, you decide. Yeah, I mean, like, there are a lot of, in my opinion, red flags about Scientology. And if you want to learn more about it, there's an excellent documentary from about five years ago called Going Clear. And it was completely denounced by Scientology, but there are a lot of ex-Scientologists talking about it. You'll hear about the fun things like the Sea Corps, which we didn't even get into. <laughs> um, lots of interesting, very convoluted and complex things in that religious movement. Yeah, it's an extremely complex. Yeah, it's something that it's really hard to brush the surface of because one of the things that we're trying to do here just in general on our show is give you uh, like a wide brush of a lot of anthropological topics. So sometimes when we, um, you know, we're trying to tackle things that are very complex, it, it ends up being, it sounds confusing. So if you're confused right now, we don't blame you because, uh, well, we're also confused about it. <laughs> yes. Or even oversimplified. Like, I apologize if anyone is a Scientologist and listening and feels like we're convoluting their... Yeah, like, I've taken a class on this, and so is Isabel, and, like, I I think I can speak on behalf of both of us when we're still very confused about this particular movement. Yes, but I feel like, in that way, too, our anthropological education and training to be not ethnocentric, I Mm -hmm. guess is a good way to put it. It kind of allows us a unique perspective on it where maybe we're not, we don't fully understand why these people, these people, why people participate in something like Scientology, but can respect that people still do believe in it. And Mm -hmm. which again is okay as long it's like it's back to that ethics from last week yeah like like harm to (laughs) self and others yeah yeah so again i'm meaning no harm by anything i'm saying but 
I just feel like it's really important to be calm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, yeah, one of the things. Keeping an open eye out for stuff. Definitely. One of the things that I think draws people a lot is um, the idea, and this has been studied a lot in both anthropology and religion, but the idea um, that these leaders of new religious movements are extremely charismatic and they're often catering to what people really want, um, whether that be a community to call their own, a sense of security, a sense of comfort. Um, they, you know, these charismatic leaders can often really draw people in um, based on what they're looking for. And if we look at Jim Jones, for example, he was extremely charismatic. Um, he was beloved by many people um, and seen as a parental figure, a family figure, uh, somebody they could confide in. Um, so that's something that we see a lot, and that's a huge characteristic of these new religious movements is these charismatic leaders. Yeah, and these leaders tend to take advantage of people who maybe feel more displaced or mm-hmm. um, typically people with l- lower self-esteem are more likely to be persuaded by cults um, and or new religious movements. if we look at the context that they arise in, um, like with the Joan- Jonestown and the People's Temple arising uh, in 1950, Um, at the height of segregation um, coming up to the civil rights movement, um, people understandably were looking for a place they were accepted um, when racism at that time and today is and was so rampant. So, Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just, there's so many things that, these new religious movements take advantage of in the human nature like humans have a innate desire to get answers right so if you're not again if you're feeling displaced or like something isn't going right in your life and then someone comes along with these overarching and absolute answers to Mm -hmm. the human experience um that's a really easy way to draw people in and to make them feel like this is what they want and something to be a part of overall I mean it's just again that community feeling I'm sure it's just to be a part of something and Jim Jones claimed that he could read minds and heal with faith and people who believe that I mean that would be an outstanding discovery to think that you'd found somebody with these divine powers so I can absolutely sympathize with people who have participated or are currently participating in these new religious movements that maybe will become harmful or have and a lot of these people often have doubts like i think there's a common misconception that people are oh completely entirely devoted to their movement but a lot of these people have doubts um but based on the place they're in they either feel like they can't leave or they shouldn't leave um so that's something to consider as well or else people don't know they're in a yeah i'm gonna say cult in this instance yeah but so, yeah, they're just completely, I don't want to say oblivious, but just haven't really taken a second to step away and think what they've mm-hmm. become a part of and how immersed they are in this new experience. So, yeah, it's quite an interesting and complex topic that's yes. hard to cover in half an hour. But <laughs> Yeah, lots of food for thought. Um, hopefully we got you thinking a little bit, even if we just did paint with a bit of a wide brush. But um mm-hmm. Now let's get back to some lightness with our non-human listener shout-out of the week. 
So today's non-human listener shout out is to Bonnie the Snake. Hello, Bonnie, you danger noodle. Um, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) um, But until then, uh, have a great week and stay bony. Woo! All right, bye everyone. (laughs) Bye.